back here today with four out of our five guests from last week's talk about deconversion and the path that people have had along their ways as they journey through being in a religious type of organization that some may classify as a cult. So would everybody like to say hi? Hello. Hi. Hello. Howdy, y'all. <laughs> Where are you from, James? You sound like you're in the South now. Well, from where I used to live in, I was born, well, not born, but I was raised in Florida, but I always said you had to go north to get to the South because all the Northerners retired in the area that I used to live in down there. So, Oh, okay. Oh, oh, we have an aggressor comment. Yay. Oh, hi. It's my brother. <laughs> well, hello, brother. Um, so anyway, so we left off talking a little bit about the doomsday or world domination and doomsday and those types of things. So now we were going to talk about like, have you, have you ever read the Bible and did anything stand out as abnormal when you read the Bible? If you did. Well, my, my question is, do, would you count it as reading it if you listened to an audio book version of it? Did you get the information that's in the Bible? Well, at the time when I did that, I was still fully indoctrinated into the religion that I was in. And I wouldn't say that I did get all the full information from it. But after having left, I haven't read it cover to cover again, but I've read sections of it and it's completely different to me now than it was back then that's interesting so while you were in like did anything stand out as ab being abnormal when you listened to it i'm gonna say no and here's why because when you're listening to it fully indoctrinated you're listening to it out of the version of it that your religion tells you so even if there is messed up and bad stuff in it, you just kind of don't hear that. You just gloss over it and move on. Do you think that's part of the mind control? Like, would that be considered like the indoctrination or brainwashing? Oh, oh absolutely. I would say it because, I mean, you if you talk to any like current Christians or believers and show them like the really messed up stuff in their Bible, They'll excuse it away. Just a gr great example of that is slavery. You know, they, they want to say, oh, well, that's just how it was back then. And, you know, God had his plan and this and that. But yet we've gone beyond that in most civilized countries now. And we wouldn't even consider doing that again and think it to be moral. And then when you hit the Christians with the, but doesn't your Bible say that God is the same yesterday, today and forever? So he didn't change his mind on slavery, um, the, then that's the, you're the only answer you get is that you're taking things out of context. Wow. Yeah. So, so how would you counter that, Bartimus? And did you read the Bible? Uh, yeah. Uh, so to, did I read the Bible? We were told to study to show ourselves approved unto God. And so we took that very literally. And that really hurts the Bible. The worst thing you can do if you're a Christian is read your Bible um, because it just falls apart in front of you the more you read it. And that was pretty influential in, in my exit out. Was So what stood out? Uh, well, the big, the big thing that got me was the, if we're talking just to scripture itself, uh, in study, the book of Job, God breaks every one of his own rules. Like, he lets Satan tempt him. He uh, kills an innocent family. He destroys an entire man's livelihood uh, just for the sake of proving a point. And that's not the loving God character that Christians want to portray. Well, so, and on the other side of the argument, let's ask this question, too. 
but what about the New Testament came and Jesus died for everybody since and now everything has changed and so the Old Testament is just a book as like some type of moral um, guidance or compass yeah and and that's a good thing that they can tuck away when the old when they don't want to talk about the Old Testament uh, but then when they want to justify their hatred against other people then the Old Testament's relevant again Um and so when you approach them and they wanted to get rid of the Old Testament, they say, well, Jesus fulfilled the law, and now we're living under grace. But then when they want to attack someone, they say, well, Paul said the Old Testament is good for doctrine and reproof and instruction and learning and righteousness. So they, they can conveniently pick what, what hill they want to fight on. Would you consider that cherry picking? Absolutely. Um, so when you talk about them using the Bible to justify hatred towards other people, especially the Old Testament, um, are you, are you specifically talking about like Leviticus, for example? No, it's it's through the entire Old Testament. Okay, and, and it it comes into the New Testament as well. Uh, the children of Israel were God's chosen people. So immediately in the Old Testament, you have this othering. You're either a part of God's nation or you're not. And then when we get to the New Testament, then the Christians take over the role of the only special loved group and immediately creates others of anyone that's not a Christian. And so it justifies so many horrible actions against people because they're not one of the group. So do you think it's harmful for a religion to hold themselves as above, like the rest of the world or hold themselves as separate from the world? Absolutely. Uh, because as soon, it, it's twofold in the danger. First off, it creates the us versus them. But then when you have that group that's separated themselves from the world, as you said, they create an echo chamber where their ideas are always agreed with because everyone views them the same way as they do. And that genders their behavior to become more and more extreme because they justify each other in that small group without any accountability. So is there anybody that can ever hold those groups accountable? Not a religious organization. Uh, yeah, I think that if we can get theism out of our court systems and out of our legislation, then we can actually take an honest look at the abuse that Abrahamic religions tend to cause when they separate themselves like this. Very much for explaining all of that. Oh, you're welcome. What about you, Sleuth? Have you read the Bible? I've read it a few times. Yeah. Did anyone? Um, I like whenever I read it. It's uh, kind of like James had said. I I I read it while I was still indoctrinated and everything, and he pretty much put it put it perfectly. Like you, you're looking at it completely different when you're you're uh, in the cult. You know, um, it's it, nothing really stands out right then as being, well, there will be, but, you know, they'll have their apologetics and everything to cherry pick around and, and manipulate it however they want. So, and then if you, you know, you get them stumped on a question or anything, if you're asking a pastor or something, then it's, well... You just have to have faith, and, you know, someday we'll have the answers, but... Gotcha. Yeah. That's really interesting. What about you, Isaac? Have you read the Bible? Um, I spent a while going to synagogue, so I was studying the Torah, um, and I grew up with, like, my, my mom grew, uh, was raised, like, Pause Christian for one Tennessee. Second. Can you explain to our listeners what the Torah is? The Torah is the Old Testament. But we don't like calling it that because it's not the Old Testament for Jewish people. It's just the holy book because we don't believe in Jesus being the, the Messiah. We believe the Messiah. I say we. I'm not, I don't go to synagogue anymore. But, you know, Jews don't believe that um, that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, they believe that he's just a guy, basically. Um, maybe like a minor prophet. And so the Torah is written in Hebrew, not in English or in any other, like, like language you would have read it in or understand it being written in. Um, and we read it in Hebrew. 
you know, we might translate it to English in certain parts, but we, we go over what each word has connotations of the meanings and like the history behind the words. So there's a lot more in-depth study of the actual text in like Torah study than you'd ever imagine in like a Bible study about the Old Testament. And we don't read it in the context of like, oh, this symbol here means that Jesus is coming because that's not that's not what we're doing. <laughs> so yeah. it's a two, it's almost two separate works entirely when you approach it that way. So yes, I have studied part of the Bible, but in a very different way. Did anything stick out to you? Um, I mean, at the time that I was I was in Torah study, I was still in my cult. Um, so a lot of it was just trying to reconcile with the idea of like, you shouldn't be um, reaching out to other gods and you shouldn't be reaching out to spirits and stuff like that. So that was mostly what I was paying attention to when I was in Torah study. And you're talking about the idea of like chosen people, you know? Like it can feel good to be a part of a, of a closed group that is like the best in the world, you know, like we're the ones who are God's children and it's coming from like a, a heritage that we have, but I don't think it's healthy for anyone, especially not people who aren't part of the group. <laughs> so why Sorry, you, you got that wrong. Healthy? We were the heritage. <laughs> no, no, we were the chosen people. Oh, all, but yeah, all of us. No, just my cult. So just the 10 of us. So sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, so why do you not think it's healthy for anybody? I mean, it encourages like this, this, this complete, nobody else matters. Like whenever you talk about the idea of what happens after the Messiah comes, which we didn't discuss very often, but if you read really like deep, deeper into it and those kind of ideas, um, it was like, we get to go and do this thing. Like we return to Eden or whatever happens after the Messiah comes and what happens to all the non-Jews? Nothing. You know, like we didn't care, yeah. you know, and that, that's, that's the approach that you're supposed to take with like older Orthodox Judaism, more modern Judaism is much more like, not like that about stuff, but still has that idea at the core, which I don't really enjoy. That's really interesting. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had a follow up question for Bartimus. Um, so all of those things that stuck out, were you comfortable? Like, were you able to approach church leadership with your questions? Absolutely not. Um, I got kicked out of my first Bible college over a conflict I found in scripture. So, um, and I made the mistake of asking a question and they were immediately accusing me of trying to twist the word and to try to manipulate for my own means. And it was literally just, you know, Hey, I read this here and it doesn't match this over here. Is there is there something I'm missing here? And yeah, it, it it was the last question I ever asked in that Bible college. Wow. Wow. So questions questions are frowned upon. Well, why do you think that is? The worst thing that you can have in the type of environment that modern Christianity has developed is anyone who thinks freely. Um and I think that even people in leadership understand the inconsistencies that are in scripture. And if the lay person understands how unreliable the book is, then it won't be trusted at all. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like, I, I have close friends who are Christians, don't get me wrong. But I also have close friends who are, like, from all walks and ways of life. And, and I think the thing is, is that, you know, people that are willing to have the curiosity to have conversations about difficult topics they have a way different outlook and approach to life they approach life in a whole different manner than people who approach life and they listen to sh silence people exactly go ahead um, and that, and that's listening to silence people. Um, that's a skill that I had to unlearn from ministry, uh, because we're taught to listen so that we have a response. And, and that's not sometimes, sometimes we need to listen so that we can understand. Right. And sometimes we just need to listen to hear what the person is telling us. Exactly. And so now I'd like to ask each of you, can you summarize briefly in a few sentences, what made you leave or fade from that religion? Don't everybody jump in at once. 
so mine was mine was overnight. Like I'd already had my issues with with the church, and I had my issues with the scripture. But I was I was a minister in a small town church, and a family had come to us needing help with a water bill. And I watched the deacon board interrogate this woman and ask her a million questions. And then they told her if she'd come to church for six weeks, they'd give her the money. And so I walked out disgusted. I paid the woman's water bill. It was like $65 was all she was needing. Um, and then the very next day, the church had written a check for me to reimburse me. And I said, why was it okay for you to reimburse me, but it wasn't okay for you to give to the person in need? And they said, because she's not one of us. Um, and so that was it. Like I, I held a, I held a service that was on after the Wednesday night business meeting. Uh, that Sunday morning service, I announced that I was resigning at the end of the month, and then I left and basically never went back. So, how can you reconcile that type of monitoring of how church funding is used to help people in need with, like, for example, if you want to say that the New Testament came, like, Jesus came and all of that was changed, and if you are supposed to ascribe to being more like Jesus, Jesus walked around helping the poor, the needy. I mean, if that's what, that's according to the New Testament, that's what he did. So how can you claim to be following that doctrine, but you literally reject people for not belonging to your church? It, it, exactly. That's what was so frustrating because um, the, the principle I used with in my resignation sermon was uh, Jesus said, freely you receive, so freely you give and you're hoarding wealth to the injury of our community and so you know to me it was just that they they weren't really interested in obeying the teachings of their christ that they claimed to love and i, I just could not could not be around that any longer wow thank you so much for sharing that that's really powerful what about you slu um well, whenever I had left, I had gotten married in that church and everything. There was a question that I'd asked the pastor um, about marriage because it didn't, it, it wasn't making sense to me how they wanted everyone to be married before they had sex and stuff like that. Well, what's marriage? What, like, it isn't like the United States was around back then handing out fucking marriage certificates and all that shit and the ceremony. So what, what is this definition of marriage and why isn't it in the Bible that you say has all the answers? And I couldn't get a straight answer out of, out of him over any of that, really. Um, those things kind of ate at me a bit. And there was, a, like, at the time, um, my fiancé had uh, their, her um, parents had split up and stuff and we were staying there together and then we had moved in together my my grandpa's for a bit until we were able to get a house and this was while we were engaged well one of the deacons had started talking to the pastor and everything and uh had told told them that we were living together well he wasn't going to marry us then and this was right after they had got done marrying somebody that was pregnant and um but that was a that was one of the deacons or trustees daughters so that was okay and so like the hypocrisy and everything and then that that really pissed me off at that point um my fiance still wanted to get married at the at that church uh, and it was the church that i grew up in so we did but it was like I, I didn't want to go there anymore after that. And then I started questioning things more. My brother had kind of um, started um, picking my brain with different things that didn't make sense in the Bible. And it just, like, by the time I started put, piecing things together a bit, and uh, I ended up figuring out that, like, faith wasn't a good, you know, epistemology yeah. to, to, to carry it just unraveled from there i was done how long ago was that 
Oh, I'd say I'd five years ago, something like that. Um, it would be longer than that since I'd left the church, but I still kind of held on to some beliefs and stuff for a little while. Yeah, that often happens is when you leave the church or a religion like that, that has so much control over your life, um, you can hold on to those beliefs for much longer, even when you leave. And what about you, Vartimus? How long ago was that? Uh, I've been out for seven years now. Okay. So let's go to James now, and let's ask James to summarize, like, in a few sentences, what made you leave or fade from the religion? I'll try to keep it to a few. It was a long journey for me. Um, it took me about, from the first time I had a doubt, to actually leave in about 10 years. And what's crazy is one of the th things that started my doubts was a simple question by a co-worker of why Jehovah's witnesses don't celebrate christmas and he said he goes why don't you guys celebrate christmas it's for the kids and then i had that and at that time i had had my first child already and my second one was either born or on the way i, I forget which one and i remember step in my head i kind of took a step back i'm like thinking about like their happiness and joy that they would have opening up gifts on Christmas and, you know, getting to be a part of that. Well, let me, I'll shoot forward real quick to the ultimate um, problem, which was when I found out about the Australian Royal Commission and that happened in 2015, Australia took in a whole bunch of organizations in their country and they reviewed how they handled child sexual abuse cases. And Jehovah's Witnesses were case study number 29 on that. And when they did that, they went from a person who had been abused and they talked to everybody in between from the, the victim all the way up to actually they got one of our leader or our leaders, the leaders of the organization to actually testify under oath. And he was going on and lying about so many things that as an indoctrinated witness, you know that the stuff he wasn't saying was true. And then the final thing he said was, and this goes back to, um, you're always told that when you're the true religion, you need to stand up. It doesn't matter if you're in court. It doesn't matter if you're talking to your next door neighbor, you're the true religion. You talk to them, and if they ask you, yes, we are the one and only true religion. You're supposed to have that kind of, you know, pride, I guess, even though you're not supposed to be prideful, but, you know, not not back down from... That's not prideful, James. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, so the um, lawyer asked the leader, he goes, um, he goes, do you feel that you are God's one and only true channel on the earth. And he goes, well, that would be presumptuous of me to say, wait, excuse me. <laughs> Hold on a minute. You're telling all your followers to stand up and say this, but yet you won't even say it yourself under oath on camera. Cause this, we have video of this and you won't even, that was, I saw that. It was like in my head, I'm like, I'm done with this shit. How long ago was that? You said 2015? Well, that was the actual, com when the commission happened. I didn't find out about that until 2018. Okay. Thank so you. So I left in 2018. So what about you, Isaac? Um, Can you summarize? Well, basically, the cult leader went to jail. And while he was in jail, he, you know, naturally he found God. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, and he read the Old Testament and he knew I was a Jew and I had started to come out from under his control recently because I was so angry at him for going to jail. And he was like, uh, nope, I'm a, I'm a Jew now. I know I'm going to like start studying like deep mysticism in Judaism and like just be really weird about this. Um, and it started making me kind of angry and 
the cult was still kind of together at this point, but we had stopped doing the rituals because he was all about Jewish mysticism now. Um, and he found a bunch of vulnerable young Jewish people who were all like trans or gay and now preying on them and basically just blocked me. <laughs> so. <laughs> wow. Do you yep. feel comfortable? Like, is there any information out there publicly about the cult leader going to jail? Nope. His record was expunged. Oh, bye. Yeah. Well, that really is something else to behold. I basically just, just getting in before he does something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. Well, let's hope like he doesn't pray. Oh, well, he's actually in, he's going to school right now for religious studies and would love to be a rabbi. So okay, that is interesting. Very, very yeah. interesting. And how long ago was that? Um, I was still a believer in 2020. So that was fairly recent. He blocked me f after I called him like a million times in I in October, actually. But I wasn't a believer at that point. I was just an angry person. So I'd say some somewhere in the middle of 2021 or like maybe the beginning was when I truly broke from it. Um, gotcha. I wasn't practicing it anymore, but I still believed in everything I had seen and had thought. I just thought I wasn't doing it anymore, basically. Um, so very recent. Gotcha. Now, do you have like a therapist that you're working with? Oh yeah, I, I go to therapy like two times a week. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, you you do deserve to have like support as you unravel some of this, and sometimes you know that means having a therapist to help us navigate the path. So, thank you so much for sharing. Mm -hmm. And then I'd like to ask, like, has anybody ever looked into the origins of the Bible? Um. The fact that the, I'm, I'm just going to speak New Testament here, but the New Testament, the fact that we didn't get the Gospels until between 150 and 300 years after when uh, the Apostles lived. And then, you know, the fact that Paul's addition to the work was such a radical shift from what the historical, like, Jewish... Christ cult was um, really changing it from, you know, a local sect into this, um, what would later become the Catholic church through his, his method of evangelism that didn't have a whole lot to do with the Christ story. Um, yeah. The Bible's, uh, the, the, the Bible's compiled in a very funny, very inconsistent way. Yeah. So, what about like, you know, um, anybody else been curious like about the origins of the Bible, like how it was compiled and how it was like there were books written like after the fact, like so many years after the fact. I I got really curious after I started breaking down like the lies and stuff that it was told to me in my church, and I wanted to know everything at that point, you know, <laughs> like, um. Mm -hmm. And like Bartimaeus said, that the, you, you've got, um, well, I mean, you've got manipulation of the text throughout years and years, and then you've got authors and stuff that aren't verifiable or anything like their main, um, the main person that they're, they're basing history off of, or the historical point that they can point at is, is like Paul's work. And it's, uh it's Paul's basing this off of visions. So he wasn't even saying that he was personally there and saw this. It was these visions that he got supposedly from God. And he changed his tune suddenly from persecuting Christians to, to starting this cult of his own. Um, it doesn't really make any sense. And um, you go back farther, like into the, um, the Old Testament and the way that uh, the Christian's Old Testament is much different than what the original um, Jewish uh, religion had. Um, even with implementing things like uh, dualism with Satan and, and hell and all of that, that wasn't originally in there. And spirits weren't even really uh, what they, they've been made into now. Um, there's, yeah, I've, I've looked into it a good bit 
and there's so much to it. There's different theories about it and everything that make way more sense than what you hear from um, the Christian uh, perspective. Thank you for that. And what about you, Isaac? Have you been interested I mean, in the? If I'm going to be blunt about it, um, I, the way I've always viewed like the the evolution of Judaism to Christianity is like a guy started a cult in his family, it got really big, and then another guy started another cult. Like that's just kind of what I see whenever I look at it. Because like I I wasn't raised with any belief in Christianity. Like I from being a child, it's kind of been one of those things. My family and I are like, yeah, okay, you know, <laughs> like I was raised atheist, so it was it's always just been like yeah somebody said he was the messiah and it all went downhill from there you know <laughs> that's really interesting and then i have another question like so what about the fact that like you know there's so many variations of the bible like it was all translated into so many different things like do you have you guys ever like noticed that like when you translate things because as an english as a second like second language speaker like i personally know that there are um different versions like when i translate things for folks um sometimes i have a lot of trouble like translating it in a way that makes sense like i can't translate it verbatim word for word because it doesn't make sense when you translate it so what do y'all think about like the many variations of the bible well even the uh the old testament there were multiple versions of the torah and there was there's the the p school and the j school and it's how each of them it, the two groups have their own texts that they prefer to use for scholarly reasons um but both texts have different such differences that they can't both be right but they can't prove which one of the two texts is the more valid one so it's like you have these two different scholarly sects of people that decide which Hebrew they're going to, they're going to read. Um, wow. Yeah. So that's welcome, Lacey. So that's one of the things that has always fascinated me is like how language evolved, but then also like, what was the purpose in like translating the Bible? Did anybody ever find a purpose? The Aramaic, well, it was mainly to try to get it moved into more languages as, especially after Catholicism spread, they wanted it all to be in a language that was accepted, which was Latin at the time. Um, because at this point, the the New Testament had transcended the Jewish cult and was now being used as a piece of political power. So making sure that everyone could read this book to reinforce the leadership of... Constantine was more and more important. Well, speaking of it being used, the Bible being used as political power, like, what about the fact that the Apostle Paul, like, prosecuted people that were following Jesus, supposedly, but then he writes all of those letters? I, I personally think that Paul found that he could use the jesus the, the jesus character to his advantage um and so as soon as he found out he could make it to where it was politically an acceptable thing to push forward that's when he changed his story yeah wow what about you lacy have you ever considered the many different translations of the bible yes um and I think that's where even more fallacies in the Bible come from. Every translation probably changed somewhat differently. Wow. That's interesting. So we have a commenter that has some very interesting things to talk about. There were over 2,000 books before the 3rd century. Then they pared it down to 73 and then later to 66 in 1610. Lots of time to shape doctrine. What do y'all think? yeah i mean that's that's uh that's that's kind of what they they've done throughout history i guess that i mean like i was saying before there's places in the old testament that are just taken at like the enoch is just 
taken out, but it's still referenced to in the Christian's Bible. So it doesn't make any sense, like, that people aren't questioning this more. Like, well, what the hell are they talking about here? Where, Where's this at? It's gone. Why? <laughs> like, Yeah. And I have another question um, as far as, like, the translation. How does it... Because Isaac mentioned this a little bit, but how does it correlate with, like, the Torah? Because you studied that in... What is the language? I can't remember. Well, it's written in Hebrew, but I mean, we're yes. English speakers, so we, we so obviously we we discuss it in English. But there's a practice of reading it in Hebrew, like it, like, with, mm -hmm. like verbally, um, and like, you know, you do Hebrew school at the same time, so you learn the words. But ancient Hebrew, like OG Hebrew, is um, is not spoken by anyone. Like modern Israel doesn't speak Hebrew as it was in the, in the Torah. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of missing pieces as to the exact meanings of words. So that's kind of how we study it as we take all those pieces together, including our our spoken language. So it's, it's a lot of like agonizing <laughs> over, over short sentences. <laughs> well, I mean, and isn't that like part of like how language evolves over a matter of time as like the culture evolves, as like all of the environment evolves and people evolve and then language itself evolves. So like, for example, even if it was written in English way back when, reading the Bible today would have different meanings for certain words than what it had back then. It's Hebrew is considered the holy language, actually. Like um, that, and ancient original Hebrew is like the 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 most closest you can get to God in that way. Um, and that's I don't know if you know anything about Yiddish. Like that's the the mixing of Hebrew and German, and uh, it has the same kind of, it has, it's very similar to like, um, Amish, I forget, um, PA Dutch. It's very similar to PA Dutch. It's kind of cool. Like that's what local, like Hasidic yeah. community, community speak in America. And it's considered like, you know, a little holier because it's like, oh, it's kind of Hebrew, you know? <laughs> is, it, is it a spoken only language or is it a written language as well? I, I think, uh, Yiddish is, is a, like a written language as well. But the problem is that there's so few people who speak Yiddish anymore. That's basically like, it's a nearly dead language um so mm -hmm. it, it there is writing for it but you'd be hard-pressed to find like good courses on it yeah so one of our commenters says verbal hebrew was a dead language until israel reformed in 1949 that's and then, really the new version of hebrew is actually really interesting they actually took out vowels entirely um that's a big part of it if you look at hebrew as written in israel there's just the straight letters and if you look at biblical hebrew it, you see the letters and you see a series of dots around the letters which are the vowels and I don't understand why, but the logic was that the vowels are too complicated. So how about we just take all the vowels out and have it be that you just have to know what the vowels are because you speak Hebrew, making learning like uh, Israeli Hebrew really hard. <laughs> so the children's book. So yeah, it was completely rewritten based on like a broken kind of wow. knowledge of what it says in the Torah. So even though they have some knowledge, it it would kind of be like this, think of the word awful, but awful is opposite. So, because they completely rewrote it, right? Is that accurate? Not quite. I mean, we know what a lot of the words mean. Like, whenever we, like, speak in Hebrew, we know what the, like, the, the basis of it. We don't have the context to it because it's such an ancient language. But, I mean, if you spend, if we have literally generations going back 6,000 years speaking Hebrew from the Torah as part of our worship, um, mm -hmm we're gonna have we're gonna remember what certain things mean over that time so like that's kind of how we rebuilt it um for israel like part of that was we know these biblical words and we know what they mean generally <laughs> yeah so it was like it was it was like pieced together like imagine like a puzzle we're missing some of the pieces but they kind of just drew in the line drew in between you know <laughs> yeah Thank you so much for that, Isaac. And Slute, did you have anything to say about the variations I, of the Bible? I just, I thought it was funny, like, when you're mentioning the uh, the different translations and stuff. Like, I do, I know, like, our pastor and um, certain, like, leaders in the in the church that I went to would bring up, like, the, the Hebrew and stuff every now and then. And it would just be the, it was weird to me. Like, they would go from preaching this sermon to suddenly just focusing on these little words and stuff and what the, and there could be several uh, translations, you know, in, into English, like this one word might mean 
five, six different words, and they've chosen this one out of those six to to portray that. So it is like, it, yeah, there's so much that that's those different versions have have just taken whatever and cherry picked whatever they wanted out of it to fit what they think is what they want, you know. Do you feel like it's almost like playing eeny meeny miny mo? Right, yeah. Like tic tac toe <laughs> or something like. Yeah. Um, and how do you think they come up with like the right version? What makes it the right version? I don't know what what how easily fits there. Uh, how easily people can fall into like the trap of listening to it. That makes it yeah. the right one. The, the Orthodox Jewish approach, approach is kind of cool because you know we know there's a bunch of different like words this could possibly mean. So instead of picking one, what we do is it's a practice called building a fence around the Torah, which is where you go, okay, this could mean all these different things. So let's make it so we can't do any of those things at all. So there's no way we can mess up. A good example is don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. The hell does that mean? Um, don't ever eat mo- meat and milk together. We can't possibly mess it up. <laughs> that's how you get all of those laws that Jews follow. Um, that's how you get like the mitzvahs and stuff. Wow. Wow. That, yeah. So one of our commenters says King James dude got the words he wanted. Do y'all think that's accurate? Yeah, hundred. Yeah, hundred. It was absolutely a Bible written so that a man could get a divorce. Um, oh, yeah. Do tell how you come to that conclusion. Okay, so King James broke away from the Catholic Church because the Pope would not authorize a divorce. His divorce, so he broke away uh, for the righteousness and sake of God and Christian piety. Uh, and then had his own Bible translated, the 1611. And as much as we praise it, it was it was a power grab so that he could divorce his wife. Wow, that's a really interesting concept to like wrap your brain around and think about too. Is like having a version of the Bible that's specifically created to allow you to divorce, especially when there are. Co- churches and cultures out there that use that very same version of the bible in german and use it to justify no divorce exactly and, and the thing is and that's one of one of the most damning things about the scripture in a language because the 1611 was translated into english in order to justify a person's wrongful actions and then we are retranslating our translation into other languages so the German translation is a German translation of an English translation of a Latin translation of a Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic translation. So how many times was it translated? Okay, so we start off with in German to English okay. to Latin to Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. So that's four rows of translations that we've been through. Yeah, somebody says that King James had witch hunts in the 1590s. Yes. I do believe I've read about that a little bit. So the reason Christianity took such a dark turn in what we see in in, in the modern Christianity that infiltrated the Americas was because King James approved a book on demonology and he approved the Malleus Malefarcum three years before he approved an English Bible. So there were already religious texts on how to hunt down witches and kill them available before the Bible that those books were based on was ever translated. That's um, pretty awful done in the name of that book and religion. And yeah, so somebody else says, well, Martin Luther had a different agenda, which is where, like, that would be the Anabaptist background, this Martin Luther movement, the Reform movement, all of that. Do you have anything to say about that? I, I agree wholeheartedly. It was it was his own agenda um, and with the Anabaptists and St. Francis of Assisi leaving and saying, you know, ripping bricks out of the church and saying, I will go build my own uh, and going out into the woods and starting the Anabaptist movement. Um, every time a religion branches off, they end up making their own new Bible. 
uh, because it suits their purposes better. So now I'd like to ask the rest of you, like Slew, Isaac, and Lacey, do you agree with that? That every time a religion breaks off and splits, they, they create their own little version of what the Bible means? Absolutely. Um, I think that's where you get the different denominations just within Christianity. Methodist is distinctly separate from Episcopal, Southern Baptist, Pentecostal. You get and it's not necessarily even them creating their own subset of the Bible. It's using whatever scripture from the Bible to manipulate the people in the way that works best for them. Right. I so mean, also, I, go ahead. I, I mean, I grew up in a town with less than maybe less than 2000 people in it. And there was like eight churches, different denominations. Wow. So, I mean, there was two, there was even two church of Christ. So, like, they'd even splintered off. They couldn't yeah. agree on, on scriptures with one little detail here or there with those those churches. So, What about you, Isaac? I mean, the Bible can say whatever its preacher wants it to say because it's so vague, you know. So anytime okay. anybody gets their hands on it, they're like, I'm going to make a new one, you know. <laughs> right. So just, just to clarify, um, the, the thing about Martin Luther is, is he started the reform movement. Am I right in that? He was not an Anabaptist. He was never an Anabaptist, but he started the reform movement, which eventually led to our Anabaptist ancestors, like um, Jacob Ammon and um, Menno Simmons. They're very well known within our cultures. But yes, he started pro Protestant, and our Swiss an ancestors didn't think he went far enough, because that's the thing is like they split from these movements. So the Mennonites came from, supposedly, this is what I was taught, is that the Mennonites came from Menno Simmons. And somebody please correct me if I'm wrong, but him splintering off from this other movement. And then the we were originally known as the Ammonites because Jacob Ammon splintered off from the Mennonites and formed what is formerly known as the Amish today. So again, if I'm wrong in that, if somebody would please correct that, but that's what I was taught. And so um, it did originally start with like this whole movement that's just crazy. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is within Amish and Anabaptist churches today, and the majority of churches, there's a lot of splits that happen. They just separate. Like if they have a disagreement with the ministry, they will split and they'll form like their whole like new like version of like well, this is what the bible really means the gospel spreads by mitosis when a congregation splits and goes into new communities <laughs> can you explain what mitosis means for some of our listeners uh mitosis is it's a cellular operation it's when um a cell multiplies but it doesn't multiply through any kind of like sexual reproduction it just splits itself in half and then forms two entities that are identical Thank you very, very much. And now I'd like to change direction a little bit before we end today's thing. We're going to ask each of you, were there any influential figures that help you in your path along the way? Sue? Um, like in deconverting? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was, I mean, there was a few. There's quite a few. Um my brother for one that i'd mentioned uh dr daryl ray i i was still not completely out of religion whenever i started listening to him and his podcast but uh secular sexuality when i started listening to that it um i had so many questions being stunted in in religion uh for so long and and having so many curiosities about sex and sexuality and things and um it it really helped helped me a lot and there was things that he would add in that um had to do with the the religious um the sorry like the religious trauma and stuff going along with those those things um that and then I, I started listening to like the atheist experience and the women on there at the time were just excellent at, at nailing down their points that they had. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. What about you, Barnabas? 
Uh, so one of the big resources that I had, it was it's uh, he's actually a member of the Marginal Mennonite Society, uh, Hugh Hollowell. Um, just he was a holy, still is a holy troublemaker. Um, his his view of Christianity is that in the kingdom there's enough for everyone, and so he actively like fights communities for. Um, better access to medication in clinics for the homeless population, sorts out housing and stuff for them. And, um, but his whole view of life and, you know, he came out of, he was a, a Marine veteran who came out of a strict conventional Baptist church and seeing him come out and do what's right in spite of his religion um, was really helpful to me. That's pretty amazing. Thank you. What about you, Isaac? Um, I didn't tell a lot of people I was in the cult at the time. So honestly, I wasn't really reaching out. Um, I had some friends who, after telling them my experiences with Ellie and a few people in my cult, his name, that's the cult leader's name, um, had told me I was in a cult basically. And it took me a long time to accept that. Um, so just that consistent re like reinforcement from the people around me was very helpful. But for yeah. my like, personal growth, uh, being part of the temple has been very helpful for me. I mean, obviously, I wasn't a Christian, which is like a lot of people in the, in the temple, which is totally understandable, the satanic temple. Um, but like being around other atheists and people who don't act super weird at me when I talk about having done pagan rituals. Because um, I, I appreciate being in a community where people's immediate response isn't like, but wasn't it real? Like maybe a little bit, like maybe like a little bit, <laughs> you know? So they've been super helpful. So do you think that the, the denial along the way was a difficult thing? Oh, yeah. Because the act of me leaving the cult was not me actually going, I'm not leaving a cult. It was just me no longer practicing the rituals. Um, I still fully believed in it for a long time. And having to like completely like reconcile my reality has been very difficult. And it still is. Like, you know, it's a struggle of just making the world make sense when I don't believe in the crazy stuff I used to believe. Well, do you think that that happens to a lot of people that get caught up inside of a cult like that? Oh yeah, like uh, I'm, I'm in a support group for people in, in like these small cults and um, it's it's a very common experience and it's an experience I share with people who leave big religions too. Mm. You know, it's, it's the same feeling, it's just different beliefs. So it well, seems like it's different. <laughs> well, and it's like, like you know, when you're experiencing the denial, like it can really be unhelpful to trauma measure. Mm -hmm. And and so just because it was a different type of cult doesn't make it any less like of a traumatic experience with similar undertones in a way. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, like the, the, the struggle is really at this core. I mean, other than the separately traumatic stuff that happened while I was in the cult, the actual belief part of it is just, I believe something that I could not reconcile with the rest of the world, right? Which could be the same as believing in Jesus or believing in whatever, um, just because mine sounds more crazy because it isn't a major religion, mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's not the exact same feeling of like, the, these these two things don't make sense and it causes a cognitive uncomfortable dissonance. Yes. Can you explain what a cognitive dissonance is for some of our listeners? Cognitive dissonance is the feeling you have when something you believe or understand does not match reality and it causes you pain and it's hard to overcome because you tend to internalize it and be like, I'm the problem with this. You know, oh, thank you so much. That is mm -hmm. a really excellent explanation, and I appreciate it. And what about you, Lacey? Um, I definitely my sister who rode the atheist road a long time in my family and dealt with a whole lot of crap. She's seven years older than me, so she kind of paved the way for me to start thinking outside the box and being okay with at first being an agnostic and then going that route when I was probably realistically an atheist for a number of about 10 years before I finally was just okay giving myself permission. Um, the people who really tipped me over the, the edge and at owning my atheism and being okay with it, my husband, Aaron Ra, and Bill Nye. And then now I've gotten very into Christopher Hitchens' writings and I'm like, oh my god, why didn't I listen to this 10 years ago? That is beautiful. So You just have all of these, like, everybody has brought like all of these beautiful things like you know you, you have mentioned a support group like 
having these podcasts like y'all bring like your like that is just beautiful thank you guys so much for sharing and now we're going to cover some of these comments so somebody said by the way on the 500th anniversary the lutherans finally apologized for the martyring of my ancestors and then they said Menno Simmons came along later. It was a slander to call someone a follower of Menno in the Netherlands, which is true. And this person shares said that my grandfather times 10, Hans Landis, was one of the last martyrs. And lastly, let's go back to the Catholic, uh, Catholics' view of cognitive dissonances. They called them mysteries. Have any of you ever heard that? It's a mystery. The Lord works in mysterious ways. <laughs> he has a plan, and it's not for us to know. Okay, well, maybe the plan is for us to be having this conversation. I mean, apparently, still... part of their their plan was digging up a dead pope and putting him on trial at some point. So, you know, he's got some mysteries about him, I guess. I... Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really, really interesting. <laughs> Do you all have any parting words for our listeners? Uh, I'm thrilled to be here. I, this has been awesome and very, very helpful. Just being able to process this with other people that have also had to process this. Um, leaving a leaving a mainline religion like like when I say mainline, I mean something you've devoted your life to for so long. You're like there's not another religion you're thinking about. Uh, it's it's its own kind of crumbling process that breaks you down with it. Um, yeah. And so just knowing there's other people out there with similar experiences is awesome. Thank you, Bartimus. What about you, Lacey? I completely agree. And for me personally, seeing you guys with so many different backgrounds, um, I'm going to say especially Bartimus here because of the him being a pastor and the type of church that I grew up in. That's also very, very cool seeing that there's other people who were, in my opinion, way more deep into the religion than I even was. And if they can get out it even just further yeah, makes me feel, com I, I seek comfort in that, knowing that, whoa, I wasn't the only one, you know? Mm -hmm. That makes complete sense. What about you, Isaac? I guess if there's anybody listening who's, who has questions about their religion or faith or something like that, um, the act of questioning isn't the problem, you know, if, if you don't like the answer, sometimes that's not a bad thing. Like you don't have to bury yourself whenever you realize the answer is something unpleasant. You know, but the first step is, is taking that uncomfortable step. It's like ripping a bandaid off, you know, as we keep people in religions for so long and in cults for so long. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Isaac. What about you, Slew? Um, I mean, I agree with uh, everything they've said. And uh, yeah, just never stop questioning things. I mean, that's, that's how we learn. So don't be afraid to ask questions and, and to question things that you might think, you know, um, maybe somebody knows more than you. This is true. And maybe they can. So I'm also a life coach for those of you who don't know. Um, and one of the things that we really talk about in some of the life coaching stuff that I do is like we talk about like ways to like challenge your beliefs and how do you challenge your own beliefs? How do you determine what's your own belief? And so the thing is, is that everybody holds their own beliefs that are based on like different things, right? But when you start questioning those beliefs, it can open up yourself to have a curiosity for new things to learn new things to learn more to expand your horizons and so i suggest that be open and be curious if you can and then i'd like to ask each of you if we can come back because we have like more questions to go through we didn't make it through the whole list i can't wait i love it yeah yeah what about I'm you good with it lacy yeah, I will set an alarm next time and not be late. <laughs> okay, awesome. And on that note, one of our listeners said, I feel getting free of religion is a journey and you work through in phases. Thank you so much. Thank you, because that is the truth. It really is a journey. And we're going to be back here probably in two weeks. And 
I can't wait to finish this conversation, and I hope you all have a fantastic Saturday. Oh,